You wouldn't steal a car. Why would you steal from artists and developers? Oh, yeah? Well, maybe if they didn't charge so much for this stuff and made it easier to buy, maybe I wouldn't. Oh, yeah? Well, if you think it's cool to pirate, then unfriend me. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Unfriend Me. I never get tired of it. Never stop doing that. Do that till we die. That's my request today of Brian, or Brian, of Justin, that he never stops doing that. Hey, welcome back to Unfriend Me, everybody. Justin Robert Young over there, Scott Johnson right over here, and boy, Justin, it's good to be back and talking about the hot topics of our modern era. Yeah, I think this is a good one. I think we're going to get some good calls on this one. Of course, everybody, go ahead and enter your, our number into your phone right now. 801 801- Two eight five nine three nine five. We record this at about noon Pacific. That's three Eastern time. If you're at work, go ahead and take a little cigarette break or you know a vape break. I don't know what you kids are doing, uh, and give us a call and uh, and be a part of the show. But otherwise, we have feedback like we did from our episode last week, which was on paying college athletes. Yeah, let's get into it. I was I was curious what we'd get in terms of after the show feedback for this because it seemed like one of those. Topics that took me off guard in terms of participation the day we did it. Lots yeah. of calls, lots of different points of view. So how did we fare in the mailbag department? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. It was kind of different than the people that we had calling in, which by and large were very pro-paying college athletes. We got a lot of representation from the other side in the email, so I tried to make that the big push uh, in the doc. And here we go. Adam wrote, number one. I think the value of a free education that they are receiving is often glossed over, but it is substantial. Using the University of Alabama as an example, the out-of-state tuition for room and board is four hundred, or sorry, forty-five thousand per year. If an athlete goes to school for five years, which is the maximum time allowed by the NCAA, that equates to two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Number two, athletes also get academic help not available to other students, such as free tutoring, priority class scheduling, free books and excused absences. Well, that's because they also have a schedule. Uh, number three, everyone thinks that all academic departments make a ton of money, so they should be shared with the athletes. In fact, only about 24 athletic departments in the country break even. This is out of 347 Division I schools. Number four, athletes do currently receive a stipend to help cover expenses not covered in the scholarship, which covers the fact that they can't have a job. Mm. Number five, uh, if uh, after all the aid, all of it, Folks, the treasure trove described above, the athlete still is not in good financial position. They can qualify for federal aid and could even take out student loans. Oh, yeah. Have the privilege of taking out uh, student loans Mm. while they make their university money. Mm. Uh, Also, most people argue that the athletes don't take the education part seriously, so they should get more. If I handed you the keys to a brand new car for free and you crash it, was it my fault that I didn't also give you $200 uh, in, in gas? Okay, so... I, I don't want to make light of these points. I think that these points are true. My point is, my argument is not to invalidate them, but also to say, yes, and for those schools that do make money yeah. on personal, uh, uh, you know, on, on the backs of these players, there should be wealth shared. I'm not saying that everywhere there should, that, that they should bankrupt these athletic departments. I'm just saying when they're, is wealth to be shared they should share them and if you are looking at uh, uh, uh what these athletic departments make let's not forget that 
should these kids not have a part of the television deals that their leagues sign for gigantic amounts of money? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that is for college football specifically or college basketball specifically. Or, you know, if you can get a television deal, like, uh, like I'm sure some do for, for uh, uh, other sports. Like, I'm just saying, if there's money there, why not? Why shouldn't they get it? Yeah, and it almost, I mean, this is this is my point entirely. You've, you've summed it up pretty well. And my point is, uh, there's a there's a tendency out there for people to think there should be a one-size-fits-all uh, kind of solution to this. So every school should be under the exact same situation. Maybe it varies by percentage. And I'm saying that doesn't need to happen. Like, the schools that make the big money, maybe they're the ones that can actually set the example here. But step forward and say, we're sharing the wealth with the students. You other schools can do what you want. The problem is they have the NCAA with their big rules sort of over everything, regardless of how small your school is. So if you got a big school with tons of money, or you're a little school, but you're in that division, and you got good players, but you're not really breaking in the cash because you come from a smaller town or a little state or whatever, there's no equity there, and we shouldn't assume that there is. There just straight up isn't. Different markets are going to have different uh, you know, responses, just like with pro teams, just like with a lot of things. The money is kind of where the money is. So where the money is, maybe they could be the ones to do that. I'm not saying people should mandate it. I think the school should do it on their own. And that would be a really cool thing for them to do because they're making freaking hand over fist money, and I don't think it's fair. Uh, Desiree wrote in, says, Scott, man, I am so proud of you. For a man who fears the possibilities of being trapped in an airplane and needing to poo (laughs) to the thought of fecal matter on every pair of 3D glasses, the fact that you went along with the experiment and not only peed on your foot but peed in the shower for the very first time in your life, I'm proud of you, man. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Thank you for at least attempting to do <laughs> this because I knew you were not going to do it for two weeks. Uh, yeah. I, I Listen, we got a lot more feedback about me peeing on my feet than maybe anything else we did last week. Uh, you are not lying. There was a lot of feedback about you, about old Pissfoot. Yeah, old Pissfoot Johnson. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's out there now. It is what it is. That, that, that concludes that chapter of my life. I'm never peeing on my foot again. Uh, you all know this because I said it last week. But look, I said I'd do it. I'd do it. I'm a man of my word. If I say I'm going to do something, I'd do it. And in this case, it just happened to be peeing on a foot. And I did it. So there. You did. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to bring it up. Right. Jonathan writes, my biggest issue with Justin's statement comes down to the idea of building a brand. And I'll make this point with the full understanding that building a brand is, in fact, my job. Uh, and he... Uh, he did indeed write it from a very popular brand uh, where he works in the creative department. All right. uh, if a member of a team seeks to build a brand and effectively separates them from their team and takes away from their collective effort, the one person's attempt to elevate themselves above their teammates, that's a dick move. You sign on the dotted line on your scholarship contract to be a part of the team, not to build a business around your ability to score a touchdown. Mm. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, that this is uh, if you don't become individually recognized then you will not i mean for for players that could make it to the pros like that's a huge thing that elevates their draft status that determines their economic viability everybody in college is trying to build their brand on some level it, it, the idea of oh do it for your resume is building your brand right you right. are you are trying to become a better, more viable person in your workplace. And I don't think that just because everything's a team effort, but me and Scott working on this show is a team effort. Does that mean that we should be individually worried about whether or not we're becoming more popular with people 
based on what we say on this show. No, it, it feeds into each other and makes the entire show bigger. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jonathan, you make it. I think you make some decent points. I wonder if anybody has got well, if anyone's got thoughts about other aspects of academic life that also make money for universities that don't get talked about because it's not football. And I don't know what those would be. Um, been trying to rack my brain about it. There's an upcoming kind of esports thing happening in colleges. So that may have some uh, comparison to be made. And there's plenty of other things, I'm sure, like writers or uh, people who run uh, school newspapers, uh, college papers that uh, end up creating some kind of revenue generation that the school wouldn't have otherwise. And do they get paid extra? Like, I don't know how, I don't know if there's any of that, but if somebody out there knows of any of it, we're always uh, here to field your stuff. Well, I'll tell you what, with, with the esports thing, they better be able to to keep their endorsements because all these kids get paid at age 14, mm -hmm. right? No, oh, yeah. No, if you want to stay, if you want them in your college and playing for your college teams, this is going to be a different animal because they're already being sought after by highly paid professional teams. Yeah. And they're already rock stars in a lot of ways. So it's a very different bag of chips that whole thing uh matthew rodan says i really enjoyed your discussion on the latest episode when thinking about college athletes my biggest thought is how much money the universities are losing by not paying the athletes currently the best athletes leave after one or two years for the pros kind of like what we were just saying so they can't use their talents to make money i am currently a student at penn state branch campus i like to think of myself as a penn state student uh this year we had one of the best running backs in history i'm not going to say his first name right saquon barkley am i saying it right and maybe i did saquon saquon uh, as a huge fan, I really wanted Barkley to come back next year to see how much more he would dominate the field, and hopefully he would lead the team to another bowl victory. However, since he was not making money, he is driven to go to the pros to make that money. Since playing another year, uh, essentially for free, will endanger his chances for signing a huge contract for the pros. You also put yourself at risk for injuries and all that other stuff. My theory is if the athletes get paid, they will be willing to stay all four years, thus increasing the excitement among students and fans, thus increasing revenue. I think Matthew has a point. Uh, and incentivizing them to stay in school for that education that everybody finds so valuable. Yeah. This teamwork thing that you're all super stoked about, this yeah. might this might encourage that. Now, I realize there's going to be some equity problems with the star quarterback versus the second-tier kicker who only gets on the field if the first guy's sick. There's going to be a difference between what those guys would get paid. Uh, but yeah. I think there's enough of it at enough of these schools that even those guys will be benefited by, you know, giving it their best and staying in school. Uh, Jeremy writes, the bigger, more popular the football program, the bigger the cash pool available to potential players. This disincentivizes players from picking schools that aren't Alabama and Ohio State. There are already enough incentives to attend those programs, but adding open-ended cash incentives to the mix, as Justin suggested by legalizing dark money, would only solidify a top-tier athlete's decision to pick Alabama over North Carolina State even though he might have seen more playing time at NC State, which currently is still a legitimate incentive uh, that would lose out on cash. Ultimately, what this means is that the smaller programs can no longer compete on the same level, as if they do already. <laughs> like, they're, they're, like what, what more do we need to know that there is an upper class of, of programs for college football? And periodically, the, the smaller ones have to poke their head in as, as UCF did this year. Look. This already happens. These players are already getting paid. Mm. We are just putting them and their families at risk because of dumb, arcane rules. To me, this is just common sense. The, the, the dark, apocalyptic future that you're warning about is the one we are living in right now. <laughs> yeah, you're living in it. You're soaking in it, is what we like to say. 
Uh, I totally agree with that. Okay. Now we got a late breaking email that just came in. This is from somebody called Scott's Left Foot. Shower time. Thank you. Is all the message there is. That's it. That's it. It's just your left foot. <laughs> My left foot. A lot of people have pointed out how weird it is that I f- focused on the left foot. I don't know why. It's my weaker it's my weaker side, right? Like this half of my body has always been the weaker half. This eye droops a little. This arm's never been as strong as this one. Like everybody, but there's not perfect symmetry in all of us. Oh, oh no, no, no. Yeah. And but for whatever reason I felt like that would he would be the victim foot and it wouldn't be right to use the right. I don't know. Weird. Somebody made an email account called Scott's Left. <laughs> yeah, this is I'm, we're not making that up, by the way. No, this no, is, no, no. Yeah. They literally made an email account <laughs> called Scott's Left Foot, and the subject line was shower time, and the body of the email was thank you. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So whoever you are, if indeed you are a real left foot, congratulations uh, on that. All right, let's get into you- the world of piracy because gosh dang it, I want to put on an eye patch and a hat and get a bird on my shoulder and and head Absolutely. out into the wild. Well, real quick, before we get into that, unfriendmeshow at gmail.com is where you can email us. So go ahead and put that unfriendmeshow at gmail.com if you have any opinion on piracy or anything else that we've talked about. Let's begin! Piracy! Yo-ho! 1976! Wait, 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 wait. Uh, Can I ask you what that little uh, shanty you were going to sing? What was that? Captain Morgan. Oh, oh, yeah, Captain Morgan. Now it's all coming out. All right, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, uh, 1976, Ex-Modem. Uh, Support to Borden. Is invented by Ward Christensen. All right, I won't do that the whole episode. Uh, so that, that effectively is the beginning of the idea of transferring files over the what, what was then the earliest bare bones of any kind of connectivity right. and then eventually evolving into what we know as the internet 1979 usenet is created but here's where we get the beginning of the legal framework which eventually makes this more and more complicated the betamax case sony corporation versus uh, of america versus universal city studios incorporated is a decision by the Supreme Court of the United States which which ruled that making uh, individual copies of complete television shows for purposes of time shifting do not consi- uh, consi- yeah, constitute copyright infringement and is fair use. The court also ruled that the manufacturers of home video recording devices such as Betamax or other VCRs uh, cannot be liable for infringement. The case was a boon to the home video market and created a legal safe haven for the technology also a legal question of when do you own copyrighted content when right. do you make a copy of it do you own it or does the copyright holder still own it right you do what you want with that i remember very vaguely this stuff going on i didn't really apply the importance of what it would mean for me later in life um as the internet would be a thing and we would all move into a whole new brave new world of Potential piracy anyway, but I didn't realize how big of a deal this was for what it meant to own something you paid for. So if you bought a movie uh, or used one of these devices to record a television show and then watch it later, that seems ridiculously fair use to me. But then it wasn't so in stone, but I guess now it is. And also remember, the the television studios uh movie companies and re- uh, recording companies have always railed against the new technology right. because it breaks up their current business model yeah and so the thought was for television stations that it's like wait hold on if 
the end user in any way can control when they watch something, then they won't watch when we say, or they can, oh my God, skip advertisements. Mm -hmm. So this has to be illegal. Supreme Court disagreed. Yeah, they did. And by uh, the way, when they called them VTRs, I assume that was video tape recorders is what they referred to them as, even though VCR would have been the common nomenclature for... I guess so. I mean, yeah, VCR eventually became the the uh, the appropriate one, but I guess VTR was how they referred to it in the Supreme Court. Yeah, case. we went from video tape recorder to video cassette recorder, which is interesting. Anyway, uh, all right, uh, we're gonna speed run this. Uh, November nineteen ninety, the World Wide Web is created. Ninety one, the Moving Pictures Experts Group chooses an audio codec developed by the Carl Heinz and Brandenburg or by Carl Heinz Brandenburg and his colleagues at the Fraunhofer Society with input from AT&T and Thompson to serve as MPEG-1 Audio Lever th Level 3, a.k.a. the MP3 ISO IEC standard. This allowed songs on CDs to be converted into comparatively very small computer files. That's 91. 97, Winamp allows you to play MP3 uh, files. 98, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act what you see whenever you run afoul of YouTube uh, uh, is unanimously passed by the U.S. Senate. The DMCA provides a safe harbor, ensuring that the Internet service providers cannot be sued for the activities of their users. 99, we get Napster. And also 99, we get the first lawsuits against Napster. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to put your pin in the timeline, it's Napster's the one that comes to most people's minds partly because it's still sort of in the collective memory of a lot of people who are big internet users or of that generation. Uh, but it's hard to, it's impossible to sort of diminish the impact that the Napster era had. This was your pivotal moment of oh, everybody's getting a thing for free. That must be stopped and all hell breaks loose. And that whole, I think that a, a whole new world is born right around that time. I mean, look, this was the, the, the dawning of the internet. Right. I mean, it was the reason why we had the, the, the first dot com era is is that at, at this point we are realizing that the Internet is not a curiosity for nerds. Mm -hmm. The Internet is culture. The Internet is society. and It's going to shape everything based on how we can shape the world around us, including me getting whatever song I want, because mm -hmm. it's now a thing. What song do you want, young Justin? <laughs> I want Baby Got Back. You have it right now. Well, <laughs> technically, in like 30 minutes because you're on dial-up. But like right. other, other than that, to go from impossible to 30 minutes on dial-up was amazing. It was the greatest thing on Earth. Yeah, and also keep in mind that this was a world where we didn't have a, a cataloged source where we could just go to and go, well, I want these eight songs and I want to make a custom playlist. Like, this stuff doesn't exist. You either had the records, you either had the CDs, or you didn't. You, If you wanted something and you only wanted one song off of the CD and the rest of it was garbage, you'd have to go buy that 38 special CD and bring it home and only ever listen to the one track. And that was a $17 investment in a single track. If you could find it, uh, forget about archival stuff or old stuff or even, you know weird obscure stuff if you weren't in the right city or town you didn't have the right record stores like it was a big pain in the ass to get what you wanted suddenly you could search and go i'm looking for acdc's back in black and there it is yeah at your fingertips and it was free but i still say the free part which we'll get into with the whole piracy argument the free part is not the driving factor that's part of this it has to be but the driving factor was convenience and access those two things trumped price or trumped whether it was free or wasn't, in my opinion. Uh, oh, without a doubt. I mean, it was certainly the biggest issue because now, all right, you got that song in your head, mm -hmm. right? And you're like, ah, oh, man, what is that song? Now the internet 
provided you the ability to look up what that song was and then uh, uh and then decide what uh they then get it immediately yeah you have every song you ever want this is something that never happened before yeah no it was unbelievable i remember uh, around this time i had windows 98 and i remember i had a zip drive and i thought oh look at this i got 100 megabytes of space i just don't know what to put in there what do I do? And then I don't remember how I first saw it or who introduced me to it, but I saw Napster and I went, oh my gosh, dude, this is a freaking amazing thing. And what's interesting is most of it was stuff I, in a lot of cases, already owned. I had stacks of CDs with these songs on them. Didn't want yeah. to go dig them out or they were scratched up or they were in the car or they got lost or whatever. And so in my mind, I was perfectly justified to go download this or that or the other and uh, start building my, my little library. I don't remember the first song I got. I have no memory of that. Um, but I do remember diving in pretty deep and building a pretty good little catalog. And at the time, you know, as, as relatively small as these files are, they were three and four megabytes. They would take 30 minutes to download if your connection held and nobody picked the phone up. And even <laughs> when you got them, you didn't have the kind of disk space we have now, which is virtually unlimited. So you end up with, you know, packed hard drives full of songs. You're not even sure how you're going to keep these through multiple generations of hardware. And like, it's a very, very different time. But I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, this is... I didn't know how, but yeah. I knew it was the future of music and media. And I figured in my head this would one day apply to TV and movies. I didn't know when or how. That seemed crazy then, but that's where we're at. And now we've got so many legit ways to get it, and they're so easy to get legit. Sure. That piracy is uh, at a relative low point as a result. So that, that, was, that was kind of the argument, right, is that, so Napster happens. That's the first time that we had a public smash hit of right. a peer-to-peer -peer sharing service. A million clones come out as the legality of Napster becomes challenged. Right. Then right. begets the dawning of BitTorrent, a, a new revolutionary way that you can move gigantic files by uh, you know sources and leeches and stuff like that. Uh, uh, and that, along with better internet capacity uh, for the average user, begins the idea of television shows and movies and things leaking uh itunes really changes the it changes the game not only in terms of it being available for people but also a new price point a dollar for a song ten dollars for an album this is revolutionary for uh what used to be for a cd anywhere between 18 dollars and 28 dollars for a hot new album i mean at, at, at that time you know, you're looking at gigantic stores best buy virgin that are building huge flagship operations based on the idea that cds these very cheap to make fairly cheap to buy from the record labels and huge markups for end users now all of a suddenly gets crushed in seconds under the weight of i can just get this for free right now in a better format yeah and and i think they were terrified and i don't blame them i mean that the, their entire industries that were hinging on all of this and at least in their mind they saw this and just went oh my gosh you guys this will kill us like we'll be done and, and of course there's the greatest sentence one of the greatest sentences in nonfiction history uh the uh, book the perfect thing about the birth of the ipod and uh, uh apple's pioneering of that and itunes describes a meeting with steve jobs walking into all these record executives wearing as described by the author ball high jean shorts uh and, and pitches to them that this is an experiment you guys are getting your ass kicked right now by napster just trust me and they do that horse gets out of the barn and 
the music industry, despite the fact that Steve Jobs gave them the pathway, the publicly available pathway to make all that money, uh, they never forgave him. They never forgave Steve Jobs for locking them in to $1 a song, $10 an album. Yeah, you're not wrong. And it's, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, some people are actually probably right now thinking about saying in the chat room, and you're going to send us emails about this. Hold your, hold your horses. We know that the iPod wasn't the first MVP, uh, MVP, MP3 player that you could get on the market. No. I had the Diamond Rio. I had the Creative Labs Nomad. I had a bunch of these weird, stupid pre-iPod things that were okay, but really they were just there to let you manage the stuff you had already pirated or ripped from your CDs. There was no storefronts. There was no way to get new music or discover music or any of that sort of thing. And Apple's like, no, I think we have a way to do it. Yeah. And they were right. They were straight up right. Like they changed the industry in a way that I think paved the way for not just legitimate music services, but now streaming music services like Spotify, Apple Music, and you know Pandora and everybody else. They also paved the way for things like Netflix and Hulu and all the video streaming services you can think of. Legitimate, quick, easy, painless ways at a low cost to get price the stuff point. you want. Price yeah. point, price point, price point. Yep. 99 cents a song, $9.99 an album was just a, a fundamental problem that they solved. Right. Uh, so what I looked for last night, and I could not find if anybody else has good info on this was were the most downloaded programs of all time. I was not able to find that historic data. So I went to the pirate bay and I found the most popular pirated, uh, uh, uh various things now, right? This is as, uh, from last night when I did my trademark two hours of Googling about <laughs> our, our topic. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Most downloaded software, Microsoft Office. And historically, it seems that either Windows OS or the Office Suite is probably historically the most downloaded, uh, most pirated program or any kind of uh, software in general. Yeah, it makes sense. Most, down most downloaded video, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, most downloaded audio, uh, 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 Wizen featuring Ozuna, Escapate Conmigo. Do you have this? Which, uh, I Oh, there it is. Why Grooving, do, right? Why, why do you have this song? Because we're, because we're doing a show. No, That's no, why. I mean... <laughs> I assumed... I, I just mentioned it on the show. No, I, I thought, I it thought, I thought maybe you meant you had this and you got it back in those days. Like you pirated the song or something. Oh, no, no, no. This is currently popular. Oh, this is oh popular. okay. You, in fact, you should you should mention to your kids like, "Hey, are you guys down with uh, Escapate Conmigo?" Yeah, have you guys even heard of this guy? I don't know who this is, or even heard of him. Wizen? I this is this is uh, uh, I don't know if it technically be reggaeton, but it is it is obviously Spanish language. Yeah, I'm probably I'm trying to see if there's any other info about him. Looks like he's got a whole big album, and this is I'm playing it right off of Apple Music, which I subscribe to. Uh, yeah. this is just would have been unheard of in 99, but anyway, whatever. So yeah, that's the stuff currently, I guess Thor Ragnarok, that's the current winner, but there've been recent, more recent ones than that. Like not, maybe not since then, but before that it was like, Oh, game of Thrones season finale season four was the most downloaded video of all time. And yeah. Thor's beaten that. And I'm sure something's coming up to beat that. And that's an ever changing target. Sure. That video. Yeah. And, and and that's the thing is I think it's, it's kind of hard to get, historical data on this so again this was just from last night right. most downloaded game sims 4 reloaded most downloaded pornography blacked featuring davina davis 
and most downloaded other. This is just other ebooks. Uh, a lot of it is ebooks, including I think number eight was how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> so, uh, whatever that tells you in, yeah. into the, the mind of the pirate. Sure. Uh, but is Fire and Fury, the ebook by Michael. Oh, wow. So cut, ripped from today's headlines. I don't know what blacked is. I don't intend to find out. Uh, I'll, give, I'll give you one guess. <laughs> yeah, I think I probably kind of know. I put it together. Yeah. Listen, these are these are all the reason why I took these uh, categories is these are the categories on the Pirate Bay: software, video, audio, game, porn, and other. So right. I just pulled from what they have readily available to give people a sense of what people are pirating now. But here are the questions that I want to ask you, and I want to take calls on. All right. What was your code of ethics on piracy if you had one and how has it evolved as we go forward if at all mm. because i think we're probably of the same mind of what we said before that part of it initially was just make it available just make a fair price now it's available now it is by and large at really fair prices uh what do we find okay to pirate be honest listen come into our confessional booth confess what you confess what you have, have taken do you feel good about it do you feel bad about it would you do it again yeah and we don't store your names or your numbers or even know those things so it's not like we can this isn't like a place where you're going to be uh shelling out the fact that you have yeah, you talk, run some talk about your brother your brother sure, or your sister sure you whatever yeah. you want i mean i'll i can tell you so if, so if you're really really looking at like all right well what where does piracy begin and end? It's easy to go, oh, I downloaded the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, extended edition for free. That's an easy case of digital piracy to talk about. But is it also digital piracy to go on Google Images and go, man, I really need something real quick, just a yep. placeholder of some uh, some quick picture of a family running up a hill, whatever it is, uh, for this brochure. And I, I don't have time to have a photographer do it. Oh, look, here's a big resolution what I found on some website. I'm just going to take it. Like, taking my artwork and putting it on a website and selling mouse mats with my art on it. That happens to me sometimes. Yep. Uh, sometimes it happens based on artwork I've done that is, is borrowed conceptually from something else. So I, for example, really like Nintendo. I did a, a print called blue prophecy and it's a picture of the big blue shell from Mario Kart. And below it, it has this great like Bible verse about the first being last and the last being first. Cause it's pretty funny yeah. how the blue shell behaves. Anyway, that did really well for me, but it wasn't even my original thing. I just kind of have my own spin on it. So what's the, where the, you know, is that a little fishy there? And then someone else taking it, uh, translating it to some other language and putting it on a t-shirt and selling it on Etsy is a whole nother level. So we're not talking just, you know, back when you got Quake over Usenet. We're talking yep. like, what level are you at today? And then any other thoughts you may have today uh, regarding any of this, you can call live right now. Phones are open, 801-285-9395, 801-285-9395. I see we've already gotten a couple of missed calls before I fired it up. So you are welcome to call back anytime, and uh, we'll get to chatting what about is, it. What is your code? What is your code of ethics? Uh, I'm going to tell you that right after this call. Hi, who's there? Who's this? Hi, this is William. Well, hello, William. It's nice to have you on the show. What's going on? Hi, Willie. Hi. <laughs> do you do you like it when people call you Willie, or is it is that cool? Oh, I usually go by Willie, so that works. All right, sweet. I like Willie as well. Uh, hey, Willie, Willie Styles, what? all in it. What, what what do you got for us? <laughs> okay, so um, I used to uh, pirate a lot of things, <laughs> like everything. I used to pirate everything pretty much, okay. just because, like you said, it was 
you know, the only way to get stuff usually. Yeah. Um, but I've noticed that uh, recently, the only thing that I use it for really now is video games. And the only reason that I usually pirate video games is because nobody offers uh, demos anymore. Oh, interesting. That's true. The demo, the amount of demos that come out with games, but uh, even PC games where demos should be, in theory, easier. Um, Steam allows for demo integration very easily in things. You'd think that we'd be at a place where that would happen more. But you're right. There are yeah. less and less demos. What's interesting, though, about games, I just before I forget to mention this, I'm a big Steam user. I have tons of Steam games, like 800 and something games over, over the last yeah. 10 years. Um, some given to me, some codes given to me, some were ones I bought and everything in between. And none of them were pirated because it's all done through the steam system. It's impossible to pirate. So, yeah. uh, the convenience of that has made it so that I have not once, and I can't tell you how long even had a desire to go pirate a game because I know I can get it. It's efficient. It's relatively inexpensive or less expensive than a console version of the game. It's all digital, so it's just files. My saves are taken up to a cloud, so even if I delete it and install it later, or my computer crashes, I don't lose my progress. Like, There's all these advantages, and it's three clicks to get anything. So yeah, exactly. for me, that, that trumped everything. Also, how much of this, uh, and this is to both you and Justin, how much of this is young and a lot of time on our hands but not a lot of expendable income versus getting older, having real jobs, um, having some expendable income and then adding in this convenience access stuff. It just seems like there's less and less reasons to buy it now. Oh yeah. That's absolutely a big driver for me yeah. was money and money well, and access. Right. Well, Willie, let me ask you though. Like, so, so you download stuff because there's lack of demos, right? Mm -hmm. But then if you like it and you play it, do you buy it? Oh yeah, definitely. Interesting. So that is, and that um, goes. I, I also, yeah, go ahead. I also almost never pirate uh, indie games just off of like principle. Oh, interesting. So there, let's talk about that for a second. The difference between the monolithic EAs and Activisions of the world with their AAA games, you see a distinction between them and small studios putting out twelve dollar, you know, cool little indie experiences. Why is that? Why do you see the difference? Is it the same? Is it the age old, ah, the man's trying to kill, you know, the man's taking advantage <laughs> of us and the little guy needs our help? Like, where, where's your head at with that? Uh, well, for me, a lot of it is actually DRM. Um, I despise the, the way that, um, that big developers treat their customers by putting in this like harsh, overbearing DRM like Ubisoft. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, they yeah. No, it's a weird that's a weird cycle actually. Because <laughs> yeah. they and they're in a position as they get uh, the bigger publishers are in a bigger position to do something about the piracy, and the way they've chosen to do that offends a portion of the player base that makes them really dig their heels in. And yeah. a portion of them are are, you know, who can crack this the fastest and now that it's available, let's get it out there. Like it's a vicious cycle. Um uh, yeah. Uh, Willie, let me let me ask you one more question, and then we we got to clear uh, the deck here for for more people. But is there a price point that you're like, okay, I'll, I'll buy this even though it doesn't have a demo, but above that, you're like, nah, you want to know what? I'm gonna try this before before I buy. I'm gonna I'm gonna download it before I before I spend the money on it. Like, is there is there a a price level? Is it twenty dollars, twenty five, thirty, forty? Um, it depends. It depends on, I mean, I'd, I'd always like look to see 
uh, you know, how much, how long the game is before I, you know, use this, but probably gotcha. like $15. Okay. If it's $15, I'm not even going to bother. Okay. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. I think that's, that's a super interesting take. Uh, let's get another call in real quick before I lose him. Hi, who's this? Hey, it's Void King. Hey, Void King. What's going on? What's up, Void? Hey. Uh, so, the I was going to kind of switch off of gaming. The thing I was going to say, and this is actually recently applied to me, I have a large Plex server that I learned how to set up through college, brought in a lot of media to it, all legal media, um, you know, backups of, like, my Blu-rays, DVDs, my music that I've bought through iTunes. But one of the things I've noticed recently, and I've had conversations with my friends about, is there are certain shows or media that we have an extremely hard time finding, um, whether it's, you know, old BBC shows, um, things like King of the Hill, where, not to get too detailed, there were two companies that bought the rights to them, so it's very hard to try to track down all of the seasons for that show. Mm-hmm. Um, I know as a group, we collectively try our hardest to look at different websites like archive.org, BritBox, all these different websites. But I think for us, the piracy comes down to when we have no legitimate means to try to find those pieces of media. So it's almost like a desperation move. It's interesting because there's actually a few, there's a few levels to what you're saying. Um, And I totally get what you're talking about on that level. Imagine a world 10 years ago and Plex trying to be a thing and what that would have meant to the industry. Like right now, the industry is pretty cool on it. But there would have been a day where Plex would have been enemy number one because what you were saying is, I've taken all my library, all my DVDs, I've ripped them to a server, and now anybody I give access to, which is how Plex works, anybody I give access to can watch my shows and watch my TV shows and watch my movies. And it's really rad technology, and it's awesome and all of that, but this wouldn't even... I mean, 10 years ago, they'd have been all... Maybe even 15 years ago, they would have been all over this and, and trying to destroy it. Thankfully, a service like that exists now, and it's kind of cool. So you are you are you're already operating in a space that would have been very contentious not that long ago. Uh, so the second layer to this is uh, you you guys are doing this interesting sort of we're trying to do right by the content, get it as legally as possible, and get it up on this thing, which I admire. I think that's great. Um, but then there's this still question of like if you gave Justin or me access to your Plex server today, what is our legal uh, culpability or our um our our, our, let's more let's let's just look at it from an ethical culpability if i'm looking at a movie i didn't buy i didn't pay for but i'm streaming it for free over plex what's the difference between that and me sitting in your living room because we're hanging out like that can't be controlled no one would ever look at that and call that piracy or well but but also here let let me let me draw that out one stage further because you're right i think that that unquestionably if you share it with a friend that's one thing. You're lending somebody a DVD. Right. But let's say that our caller were to share his username and password with us right now on this stream. And now not only the hundreds of people watching live, but the thousands of people who listen to this podcast were then able to watch everything. That would almost be tantamount to him running a theater or something. Yeah, it would. And he's also not, we're not talking about a single a uh, copy of uh, Parker Lewis Can't Lose Season 1. What we're talking about is a Plex server with potentially thousands of titles. And yeah. some of it, the most latest stuff and, and uh, anime um, you know, catalog that goes on for decades of anime from Japan that would be really hard to get anywhere else. Like you're, you're a blockbuster with a hard drive. And it, it opens up all kinds of questions, right? So on the one hand, he's 
doing right by saying, I'm going to go and get these as legit as possible. And there are only a few examples where I can't. And so I'm going to do what I can, but if I can't, I can't. I'll work on that. But for the most part, I'm going to try to approach all this as ethically as possible. But at the end of the day, the enterprise itself is all about sharing out tons of stuff to people who, who's it, who doesn't own it. So where do you? St- I guess what I'm. So what I'm coming back around to, caller, is where do you stand on that? Does that is that play into this at all for you? And for the record, I actually think Plex is amazing. So this is not a judgment call on you, but I'm curious what your what your overall feeling is about the idea that you could just share this with anybody anytime you want. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely understand, especially coming into Plex early, I definitely understand that uh, some people do. We, or especially me personally, don't actually share my Plex library with anyone. I live in the country, so it'd be very difficult for me to like have rule upload and you know mm-hmm. people using it. I probably wouldn't anyway, just because it, it's not what I got Plex for. I got it because it's it's a convenient way to like tie into an Apple TV or a Roku directly in my own home. That was the biggest thing for me. Right. But I do definitely understand where that could be taken awry. Right. Um, I, I think I think your your analogy about you know how is it different than someone sitting on the couch and watching it um, is probably pretty accurate. I mean, I don't know what the statistics would be on how many people actively share their you know their servers with you know, 50, 75 people. I think Plex as a company, I don't really know Cody well, but um, Plex, I think, limits actually how many active connections you can have to your individual server at the same time. Mm -hmm. Not that that's going to stop, you know, you still giving your password out to 75 people, but I mean, I I think Plex as a company seems to be fairly ethical. Uh, It doesn't seem like that's their primary source of trying to build their market and to, you know, turn themselves into like household blockbusters. Right. You know, but I appreciate the call. Justin, I can hear you disagreeing, and I'm, I think I know where you're headed, but tell me what you're going to say. Oh, then. no, no, no. I wasn't disagreeing. I was agreeing with them, actually, that, oh, okay. that, Plex, that, that, that they are a company that has very deliberately tried to make sure that they stayed on the right side of this one. I, I agree, but it, but the, you know, one man's we're trying to stay on the, right, on the side of uh, ethical um, uh, you know, appropriation and, and use of this content is another man's we're avoiding as many legal loopholes as possible so that you guys can use it what you're using it for. It's like it's kind of like the BitTorrent people going, uh, BitTorrent is a fantastic way of moving all kinds of data around. They know people are using it for music, movies, and porn. Like, they know it, right? It's like anything else. Uh, you could say, you know, Apple could say, well, we curate the, 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 the app store to best suit the needs of families and blah, 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 and we keep strict yeah. content rules, but people are still Snapchatting each other's wieners to each other. Now, they can't. That's, I'm not putting yeah, that on yeah. Apple, but nobody, I, I don't like this when everybody takes like this high-minded, you know, well, I'll but tell you. Ultimately, it's like, is it high-minded or is it just refusing to be totally defined by the worst behavior of, of your platform when you believe that it can be used for other platforms, uh, when it can be used for other uses? Hey, look, I'm not here to defend BitTorrent's decision making. Right. They hired me to be a political pundit, right. so that'll tell you everything they <laughs> need to know about their judgment. Yeah, full uh, full disclosure. Justin wore a Pokemon suit and did some rad reporting from. I did for, uh, on, and got paid by BitTorrent for yeah. it, which was nice. This is really good. Uh, but, and then their CEOs got fired like yeah. three months. Afterwards. But in order to get you out there, they had to they had to disassemble you into smaller chunks here. <laughs> And then reassemble you there through. Well, and also again, uh, BitTorrent is a protocol that nobody owns, and then BitTorrent is also a company yeah. that uses the BitTorrent protocol to do other stuff. Like, right. and, and a lot of their stuff is uh, very enterprise level. Yeah, I just remember even the Napster days. You can share files. 
hey, look at this file sharing. Oh, songs? No, no, no. Files. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But also, it's like, we're, but we're not going to block the songs. <laughs> right. We're not, right. They, it's always been a, kind of funny that way. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Got to catch them all, guys. It's Ian. I am Sci-Fi. Hey, man. What's going on? How are you? Not too much. Not too much. So uh, to, to weigh in on the whole uh, piracy thing, I, I couldn't even tell you the last time that I personally, uh, you know, downloaded music or honestly even like really popular TV shows, mostly because I, I'm still one of those guys with cable and I have a Roku set up with like all my, you know, streaming channels and stuff like that. So I just, you know, if I happen to miss an on-demand version, I just go onto the app and I watch it and, you know, so on and so forth, yada, yada, yada. But I do share my mom's, uh, you know, Netflix password. Like I'm, I'm logged into her Netflix. Uh, I, she uses my Amazon. She uses my Hulu. There's back and forth sharing like that. Uh, I know that, you know, I personally, like, my name isn't on the cable bill, even though it's my cable. So I'm technically using, uh, you know, my roommate's logins for all this Roku junk. Um, but the one thing that's going to get me to pirate more often is the fracturing uh, into stuff like CBS All Access. Mm. Because I have yet to pay money to watch Star Trek Discovery. And frankly, I don't. You know, I do not see myself doing so. Mm. I would much rather log into you know either Netflix Japan or find a MP4 copy of it online to watch on my Roku, you know, by plugging in my uh, USB stick to my Ultra, than pay for something that I'm only going to watch one show on. So it's interesting. What's happening is uh, <laughs> market decisions play a role in this. So. Yeah. If you have an expectation that HBO is going to charge you a monthly fee for all the HBO content, you're in for that. You're like, yeah, I get that. That's HBO. It's what they do. And and this is all worth it to me. And you've made a value decision on that. There's no like rebellion from that. You're just sort of like, yeah, I'll do it or I won't. In yeah. the case of CBS All Access, you've got CBS been around for many decades. They're uh, you know, a commercial broadcast company that has spent all of their time being that. Suddenly they want to get into the streaming game and they're like, hey, like Star Wars? Well, we own that now, and we're going to kind of dangle it over here. And in order to get it, you're going to have to do this funky thing that's nothing like you've ever done with CBS before. And you kind of resent that market move to the point that you're like, well, fine, I'll watch it some other way. That's interesting, isn't it? I'm not saying that that makes you bad or good or anything. I'm just saying right. that kind of reaction, and I feel the same reaction with them, is an interesting twist in all of this. Well, and also it's like, What's the second most popular show on CBS Interactive? <laughs> no one knows. Probably right? Big Brother or something, or who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I mean, uh, again, it's like, well, I think it's no that, I think it's that Good Wife spinoff, the one that's actually exclusive to it. Oh, yeah. okay. But see, and that's more than I know. I have no idea yeah. what the hell is on that service other than Star Trek Discovery, which I have heard mixed <laughs> reviews about. Sure. But you'd probably hear less mixed reviews if it was just out in the open like everything else. Like it would just be. Oh, no, I would hear more about it by volume because I don't hear a lot about it in general. Like I, I, I've heard a few like I've read a few scathing io9 reviews and a few people in chat rooms that are like, oh, it's good. I like it. But other than that, it's like maybe it trickles along. Yeah. I've heard far less about Star Trek, a new currently airing Star Trek series than I have about the fourth most popular thing on Netflix this weekend. Right, right. It's because they did the trick. They tricked you. They did a thing that's supposed to trick you into doing something. 
Whereas HBO always had their wall up. So you always knew you had to go into their wall to get their thing. Third tax. That's right. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hey, guys. This is Andres from Seattle. How are you? Good. How are you, man? Oh, yeah, doing great. Thank you. So my, my take on that from a developer's perspective, I'm, uh, I'm working in Microsoft and also I'm doing games on my own. Um, so as an indie developer, you pretty much know you cannot battle piracy. Uh, that's a given. And I think the approach a lot of people have taken is open up as much as you can and try to make friends. So the hope there is that if you show your craftsmanship to people, they're going to start following you. And then you can hope they're going to like your product enough to actually buy it. Yeah. So the first thing that I ever published, that was a few years ago, got hacked six times to one to what was downloaded, and it was a free product. So that reason told me, you know, I cannot battle piracy myself, so you better find better solutions. So unfortunately, premium games and all that, although terrible, you know, they do have a place. And that's what well, it's kind of a this great call. I appreciate it. It's it's kind of the the in the gaming world anyway. This is kind of the well, you know, what's not that different than me and you, Justin. Like we we in a let's say a Patreon environment in some of our shows. Uh, this one soon, we have to rely. Uh, we have to know that a giant percentage of people, the 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 vast majority, are going to come consume it, never pay a dime. Yeah. What we hope for is a percentage that will, and those that do and want the content and support it, they'll make up for the for the rest as best they can. This is true across the board. It's like the whale, the whole whale argument in free to play video games. Like it's a free to play game, but you're counting on like ten percent of the player base to spend all the money. Like that's true of indie games. So if you put something like Super Meat Boy out there and you put it up on Steam and people hear about it and it's very popular, a big portion of people are going to pirate that thing and never pay a dime for it. But yeah. a, a decent percentage of that overall group is going to buy it, and you just hope that your numbers game is working out in your favor. And isn't well, that true uh, of all of this? Like the, like, the better my service is from Spotify, the more I'm going to use Spotify and not pirate music. The better their selection, the less I have to go outside looking for it somewhere else. Like, to me, it's that simple. Well, it's easy for us to say because we, you know, they have only adopted the darkness. We were born in it, right? Like <laughs> we we decided to become people that made money on our art in an era that we, we were playing by the new rules, you know, 10 years ago. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these people, these are corporations that have built gigantic business models based on an old way of doing something. And in many ways, it still matters. Right. But in some ways, it is either eroding or irrelevant. So I, I can understand where people are anxious about it. But at the end of the day, you're right. We have to look at new business models for an evolving marketplace, because as our last caller said, there's no stopping the signal when it comes to piracy. Like it is here like every legal avenue has been challenged and and you know they chased those pirate bay kids out to a you know a, a boat somewhere and then they bought an island and they declare themselves king and that's it like we're done there's no more legal recourse for this level of piracy the only way to combat it is to actually deal shockingly with your customers and ask them what they want and how much they want to pay for it. Yep, simple as that. I agree with that 100%. You are on the air, new caller. Who is this? Hey, this is Jamie. Well, hello, Jamie. Thanks for uh, calling in. How are you? I'm doing all right. 
So my family owns a screen printing shop. Mm. And we kind of deal with piracy in the way that we get people that walk in the door all the time that want copywritten materials printed on shirts or on mugs or whatever we're selling them. Yeah, so they'll come in and like with a, here's my favorite Mario. Can you put this on a mug for me? That sort of yeah. thing. Here's my favorite yeah, Scott Johnson worst, art. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> the worst is actually like, I want the Kansas City Chiefs or whatever yeah. football team is local close. Right. Um, and there have been like, I, okay, so I'm from Missouri. Um, Missouri, University of Missouri is a big deal. There was a school that got sued by either the university or by NCAA because they used the Mizzou Tiger logo as their school mascot logo. Yeah, I've seen Mm -hmm. this before. There's, um, I want to say it's a local team here. A a high school team got in trouble. They didn't get this. The suit didn't go through, but they had a sort of cease and desist thing. But they were using, Mm -hmm. um, I think they were called the Stallions, but the horse logo was exactly like the Broncos, the Denver Broncos logo. Um, and colors and everything like that whole like blue and orange and all that oh, jesus and it was so obvious and i remember just kind of chuckling about it and then i heard in the news it's like yeah they they're gonna have to stop doing that so now they're they're still the stallions but they got some crappy home brew thing but i'm guessing this happens to you guys a lot i know what happens in copy shops i used to work for a an alpha graphics way back in the day early college mm-hmm. days and i remember people, okay. people then- would come in all the time and they go hey look at this thing i want to make 50 copies of this totally copywritten thing and we were some we were supposed to tell people no and they'd get pissed yeah they hated that mm-hmm. anyway go ahead okay and then on the other flip side um so i grew up partially in hawaii where it's like you had all all of the tv all of the japanese culture like at your fingertips and then my family moved back to missouri in the middle of nowhere where, like, we had no cable because our town wasn't big enough to have cable. And so, I, like, we were we had all of this culture and all of this stuff, and then we were cut off, and we moved back to Missouri. So when pirating became a big deal, we pirated a lot of anime in my family. <laughs> Not just, like, me, but my brother and sister did. Sure. Because we didn't have access to it. We didn't have TV. We didn't have, like... We didn't have cable. We didn't have anything. So. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. This is the whole. This is the whole thing. You can't, Justin. You can't stop it once access has been granted. The genie's out of the damn bottle. So either. Well, yeah, yeah, but let me let me let me ask our caller though. Again, how have things changed for you? Because I think we all have very similar origin stories. I used to love a thing. I couldn't get a thing. It was either too expensive or not available. So that is why I justified to myself morally that this pirating is okay. But now, now that you have Crunchyroll, now that you have the ability to download almost any anime that you possibly can, what is your personal code of ethics for that same kind of behavior? Oh, wait, the call went somewhere. Oh, shoot, she's not there. Crap. Okay, let me me answer that actually from a weird perspective. It just so happens. Scott Johnson, the guy who never really liked anime much and kind of makes fun of it constantly... For some reason lately, kind of getting into it, and I don't know why. Sort of like getting recommendations from fans and friends saying, hey, you should check this out. It's really good. And part of the reason the resurgence is happening, I think, or the reason I'm finding this easy to get into, is it turns out uh, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Netflix, getting way into the anime. Back catalog stuff, popular series, unpopular series, dubbed and undubbed, like 
the whole gamut. And they're and in some cases, in Netflix's case, they are Netflixing original backing a bunch of these yeah. imports so that they can kind of control some of that and they can get better voice acting, all that stuff. So all that being said, I've been consuming a ton of it. And uh, uh, what was my point? Oh, uh, back in the day, there the only way you were going to get any quantity of animation or uh, anime outside of, you know, Voltron and freaking Dragon Ball Z or something was to pirate it. That was it. All my friends were into it. They pirated it like crazy. It, once that valve is open markedly you can't stop it you have to you have to dive in as a as a as a as a content provider and say hold on hold on there's a better way not only is it legal it's also really cheap and you're going to get all the stuff you want and then they make money you get the stuff you want you don't have to pirate it like we live in a golden time it's incredible yeah. right now you know well sure yeah i mean although i think uh, i think it was ian who, who said earlier that we might be at a golden era that is fracturing as now more and more it's like all right well it's like oh there's there's a cool anime uh, uh service called crunchyroll I'm, I'm into that cool oh also netflix has one. Oh, cool amazon has stuff too oh also there's this other new thing that kept, popped up oh wow wait everybody wants me to pay 15 dollars a month <laughs> yeah it's starting to there's everybody no... <laughs> wants me to, to do this so and, and whether or not i watch it oh. that's a good point it's a good point hi you're on the air who's this Oh, hey, this is uh, Talia, um, the person who's harassing Justin on Snapchat a lot. Oh, cool. It's uh, Wiener awesome. Picks to Justin. Got it. Great. Just kidding. Hey, what's on your mind? What's <laughs> yeah. going on? Well, a lot of the conversation right now is games, music, and everything. But one thing I want to bring up is just software in the sense of very, very expensive software that's like very specific to, um, to a job. So, for example, I'm working in a research facility right now. We use very sophisticated um, programs that can cost like ten thousand dollars for a single license, but without this, we can't do our job. Yeah. So if we pirate them, then you know we're doing science. So maybe we can say this is for humanity. <laughs> but at the same time, these are really, really expensive programs to make, and they're difficult to make. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that they're greedy, but it's a it's kind of just a gray area because on the one hand, we want to advance you know, the species, on the other hand, some people got to make, got to eat. Right. No, I totally understand yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, by, by, by the way, uh, Talia has indeed sent to me on Snapchat pictures of like mouse brain, uh, <laughs> brain waves. Like it is, it is some really, really rad stuff. And, and I'll tell you what, this is what makes stuff like, you know, AutoCAD seems like it's a, a Snickers that you would pick up at a Seven Eleven. Oh, uh, compared to that stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like even if you're just a dentist and you've got, you know, the latest whatever software in there, they have some pretty fancy stuff. And I'll ask those guys, what'd you pay for this? Well, this is three grand a year. We pay a per year, three grand price. They update yeah. it, maintain it and come in and support it. So that's probably not all that uncommon to have those guys get dinged, but I have the perfect market example of this and how at least at the very least they're trying to, to solve the problem. And that's this Adobe for the longest time. And I'm actually why I'm surprised office is the number one current leader on, um, uh, Pirate Bay, I would have thought Photoshop because Photoshop but. is one of the most po most popularly downloaded uh, pirated pieces of software in the history of ever. Uh-huh. Uh, what did they do? Well, for the longest time, how you got Photoshop or any of the rest of their suite of products was to pay about $2,500 for the newest release 
And then yeah. you would wait around till the next release and you would pay another $2,500 to get it. This is top grade professional stop stuff. It, stop it. That's not true. And you know it. You'd, it was lie, t- that you were, you'd lie that you were a student and <laughs> pay uh, slightly less. Well, that's true. But when I worked for uh, the company I worked for before they, you know, this is probably back in like 2002, that was still the mod, the mode. And I'd have to go to the CPA or the, the whatever his name was, the guy, our, our money guy and go, we got to pay for it again. It's that time of year, blah, blah, blah. Now, they know how pirated they were, and they know how much money they were losing from that. And so they switched this all over to the CC program, their cloud, their creative cloud thing. And some have said, ah, forget it. I'm never going to use anything but 6.5 and never upgrade again. I don't want to pay a monthly fee for software like that. That's lame. There are definitely those people. But for me, most no-brainer choice on my of my professional art life yep. than to just sign up and go. It's been the best one of the best services I've ever had. It's not perfect, but it's got some issues. But for the most part, it's just always there for me. It's always updated for me. I get what I need when I need it. It's a huge suite of software, and I'm paying 40 bucks a month for it. It's absolutely worth it for my business. Now, if you're just some kid making memes in high school, I get why you don't want to get CC. I get it. Even then, they have a deal for you at school. But anyway, that that's a great example of a company going, you know what? We have to get ahead of this in a way that doesn't put us way, way, way behind. And I think they were really, really smart to do that. Uh, no doubt. Yeah. And they're another example of a company that realized the rising tide and decided to build a boat instead of <laughs> complain about how wet they were getting. That's pretty good. Good, good analogy. Now we're at an hour mark. We're going to take one more call uh, and then we're going to try to sum things up. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hey, it's Dice Tomato. What's going hey, on? Hey, man. I'm glad we got you in. How are you? Oh, doing good. So I have a, a question about, so you're, you're talking about a lot of the, the digital multimedia uh, methods as far as pirating. Um, if you, have you seen around town any of like the, uh, the, the little free book exchanges? Oh um, yeah. We have one over here, which, just up the street, like a little box with a door and you open it and swap books out. And I that got one literally right across, uh, right across the street from me. Yeah. I wondered if that was just here exactly. or if that was a thing happening everywhere. It sounds like it's more spread than I thought. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a countrywide thing. And I've always kind of likened that to something similar as far as to how, uh, a lot of your pirators, you know, share digital information. It's kind of the same way that the the those people shared books back and forth. I mean, it's not terribly regulated as far as I know, but I think that's always the real big issue is once you get around the regulation, that's how everything starts to work. That's how that's why Spotify yeah. continues to work. I like I like this example. I like this example because if I have Moby Dick and I'm sharing it with you, and you're sharing your copy of Tale of Two Cities. I'm using really old literature as an example, but whatever. Yeah, I, think, I think all of those are in public domain. <laughs> yeah, those aren't even good examples. But you're you're sharing the latest uh, Stephen King novel, and I've got something cool from Patrick Rothfuss, and I'm like, all right, let's swap these around. Uh, that's I, I guess yeah. I guess the only difference there is that you know I'm not taking the your copy of Moby Dick and going to my my personal. Uh, uh, printer at home and making copies that way. Mm. That's where it starts getting a little. Well, and the, and again, this is this is goes back to Justin's idea of the companies building boats instead of complaining about the rain. Uh, Steam has family sharing now, which is awesome, and it doesn't have to necessarily be your family, but I can have Justin uh, log into my account and then tie his account to my account, and now anytime I'm not playing, he can play the games I own. That's a yeah. straight up legal yep. thing that they allow you to do, and it's fantastic, and we love it. Same thing happens with. Uh, you know, it's, it's account based, but the blizzard stuff works in a similar way. Those are usually subscription based, but again, depends on what you're doing. 
The other good example of this sharing thing is something that Amazon's embraced with the with Kindles and with their books. They have a book borrowing program, basically, that lets me borrow a book rather than buy it. Uh, oh, the Prime services it's is great. all kinds of shared now. Right. I mean, think about it. The video thing is really based on that. You're paying this one low fee and you're getting all these weird services thrown in. So there are companies companies leaning into really good ideas that make it a lot like that book exchange. Um but you're right. You got to kind of get out of the yoke of the, of the regulations, and uh, uh, you know, let the market breathe. Yes, Justin. Sure. All right. Let, let me. Let me. Uh, well, thank. Thank you so much for calling. Yeah, uh, for sure. Let me make one final thing. Oh, look at this! You're like, uh, and that. So the rest of the story. All right, go ahead. Uh, yeah, this is my Jerry Springer final thought. <laughs> because I think we've been a lot. We've been very raw, raw in understanding about piracy. Yeah. But let me say this. I understand on some level why it happened and, and I know why I justified myself doing it. I don't do it now because I have enough money to buy things and I want to support things and I don't differentiate between the big boys and the small players. Yeah. I think that everybody has a role to play in the ecosystem and if it is not available, I'll think about it. If it is available, I'll buy it. Right. If I can't buy it, I won't get it because I do think that there is a morality to this. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to go to hell and it's fire and brimstone, but I think that there is for me. And I know for you as somebody who does make money on some kind of, of, of paywalled content, yeah. right? Like you can't just sell bootleg Scott Johnson merchandise. And mm -hmm. I don't want people selling bootleg stickers and stuff like that. Sure. Or games of the contender. Uh, this is i want to be as friendly as possible i want to do the best business practices but if you steal my stuff on top of that i do think that that is a problem and it's something that i have addressed in my own behavior right uh, as we've gone on because i do think we won the war we won the war on make it available make it better uh, uh make it better priced and there might be other people with other wars in their heads and uh, as we had callers in here saying well they don't do demos so that's why i uh, a pirate and that's fine you can fight that war but i know for me it is it is a moral judgment i yeah. i don't do it anymore because i think that we are living in a for me a post-pirate society i completely agree everything i want or i'm into and used to be hard for me to get is no longer the case and is relatively inexpensive to do so i couldn't tell you the last time i pirated a thing it's been more than a decade i can tell you that and it wasn't like one day I went, I, from here on out, will honor that I didn't do that. I just went, I don't really need to do this anymore. Like, I'm kind yeah. of in a place now where I can get what I need. And if I can't, well, I probably don't need it. And there's so many things vying for my attention. Like, come on, are we all starving for any one of these things that we're talking about right now? No, it's yeah. like a, it's a bountiful feast. So, so for me, there's that, but also I agree with the moral uh, perspective. It's, it's stealing. And the reason people can justify it is because, they're not in a store. It wasn't caught on camera and the security guy didn't stop them. Uh, it's different because you can get away with it. Like it's, that's just straight up it. Now I'm not, again, like you, I'm not judging anybody for their version of this. Do what you got to do. Um, and, and part of me is glad that there's, there's aspects in the market that drive uh, legit new ideas. Yeah. Like I like the iPod and iTunes and it's original iteration. Like what, Comicsology did for comics on a portable basis or a tablet basis, like Kindle did for books. 
like Steam does for for PC video games. These are examples of pivoting in directions that they may not have ever pivoted in if they didn't have this resistance. So so I, I understand the need for it, right? Like you almost have to have, it's, it sounds so weird. Like I'm, I'm morally opposed to stealing this stuff, but I'm kind of glad somebody did so that they would figure out a way to make it better for everybody. Um, I don't know. It's a fascinating topic. We're probably going to get all kinds of feedback for this. But, uh, somebody, uh, JC Calhoun says piracy is not theft. It's legally different. Sure. I'm not saying it's theft. I'm saying that piracy has moral problems. <laughs> Like, yeah. uh, I'm not saying it's the same. I'm saying it's different. I know exactly what it is. Uh, I'm saying for me, it was it was a decision I had to make about myself when I started selling, when I started controlling my own art. Right. And maybe I control that art and I say it's free, but I want that right. I, I don't want that right taken from me. Right. Uh, uh, you know, or and if you do, then just know that it's against my wishes. Yeah, and here's the beauty of where we're at right now. If I create art and it ends up being uh, popular for some reason, and then somebody takes it, lifts it, and reuses it, and then sells something without my knowledge, I see that as them taking my thing and getting paid for something they didn't do. Yeah. Now, the nice thing about that, it's, it happens all the time. I get this all the time. It happened the other day, a Portuguese website selling a t-shirt with my stuff on it. What's great is I wouldn't even have known about it, except a whole load of people came to me and said, Scott, looks like yours. Is this yours? Is this yours? Yeah, it is. And then that place gets flooded with takedown notices from all yeah. these people who got my back. So that's another twist and wrinkle to this that is kind of that great to be Scott Johnson. Well, no, it's just self-policing. You know what yes. I mean? Like, yes, that stuff's going to happen. Sure, a few shirts got sold before the takedown. Um, but there was this, you know, this uproar. It equals out is what I'm saying. It makes... It makes yeah. all it all works out in the end. So I, I'm grateful, first of all, for those people that do that because they, you know, it just feels like they've got your back and then they support you when you put out good stuff and they want to support you and see you do well. That goodwill exists and it exists enough for me to make a living, uh, to, to pay my mortgage and to feed my kids. And that's really all I care about. Um, I think a lot of that, I think that same sentiment goes for a whole lot of people that do what we do. So maybe that makes our perspective a little different. Maybe it skews it a little bit. I don't know. But, um, you really don't have a lot of reasons to pirate anymore. I mean, for 15 bucks a month, you can get like two or three different services that give you everything you think you had to I pirate. Mean, dude, before. I know people that are just cheap and all they do is talk about with pride, how much they pirate. Like yeah. it is still a thing. I know that we're, we're everybody's well, you know, back in my younger days, there are people and you know who you are. Yeah. You are. Uh, it might even be Scott's left foot who's listening right now. <laughs> And they're like, like, you know what? Whenever, like, that's cool. I'll be very excited to talk about Game of Thrones as soon as this torrent finishes. Right. <laughs> right. No, you're right. And everybody else in the house complains why your internet's so slow. Sorry, I got a torrent going. That's just the way this is. Uh, mm -hmm. Very curious about your feedback, though. Uh, send it. And the way to send it is send it to our email address, which is unfriendmeetshow at gmail.com. Uh, use it uh, frequently and get us your feedback. Justin, anything else we want to talk about before we let these people go? Next week, we are talking about millennials. Why are they killing everything? What's their deal? Who are they, technically? Uh, we will talk all about the rage against the youth of millennials. Uh, that's fantastic. I cannot wait to talk about that. I am guilty of this. So let's find out if I have been in the wrong this entire time. There's a very good chance that I have been. That's going to do it for us. Go to Unfriend Me over on the Frog Pants site. That's frogpants.com slash 
unfriend me. All the links you need are there. It's going to do it for us, for me, for Justin. We'll see you next time. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Frog Pants Network. Get more shows like this at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>